Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. You can save an extra $10 when you spend 40 or more on a great selection of participating items. Just look for the signs and save at Baker's. Hello and welcome to episode 142 of Potteroni, that's what I call it. And on this episode I'm talking to Neil Farrell. A brilliant chat with a brilliant person. And before that, yeah, there's a sketch show that I'm doing called DICTV Radio and it's on Spotify and iTunes and anywhere you listen to your favourite podcasts and uh, here's a little example of what it is Too busy to make it down to your local confessional? Well now with the new confessional box app, forgiveness can make its way to you Simply type your sins into the app the amount of time since your last confession, just how sorry you really are and press send. Within seconds you'll receive forgiveness and your penance. Confess, click, repent. It's as easy as that. Treatment of sins may change from day to day depending on that day's teachings. Forgiveness of sins is not guaranteed. All sins confessed may be shared with third parties including local law enforcement for marketing and legal reasons and may be held against you in a court of law. The severity of penance may go up as well as down, signing to our terms and conditions of this app may result in you losing your soul. Potterooney is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network and there are so many great podcasts on the network and here's one of them. This is how it's always been. Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan. As we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written. 
or ghostwritten. If you ever read about the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, Elizabeth and Jessica, with their eyes the colour of the Pacific Ocean, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. But of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnappings, stolen boyfriends and seemingly mandatory school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. Now, there you go. So, I'm going to be talking to Neil in a minute. Just before we chat, it was just a lovely story in the Times recently. A story interview with John Lydon, who was, of course, Johnny Rotten. And he's looking after his partner who has Alzheimer's, Nora Forster. Been together for 40 years and uh, just an amazing story, a love story. And Nora Forster had a daughter called Ari Up, who's also uh, the singer in The Slits. And she's died, unfortunately. But um, she was in The Slits, an amazing band. I remember I bought their album when it came out and its cover had the three girls from the slits topless and covered in mud and uh, I was working in a restaurant at the time and I thought nothing of it I bought the album because I liked their music but uh, the amount of tension they cover that album got people going oh my god that's disgraceful that is um, so they're, they're an amazing band uh, the album Cut is fantastic uh, the song Typical Girls on it is is brilliant. And you probably know their version of I Heard It on the Grapevine, a kind of a reggae-ish version. Um, but they were punky, punky reggae, kind of absolutely fantastic. And the guitarist is Viv Albertine. Um, was Viv Albertine, I should say, because they band don't exist anymore. But Viv Albertine, I discovered recently... Um, on YouTube talking about a book that she wrote, a me- um, memoir about the punk times called Close, 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 Music, 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 Boys, Boys, Boys. And I ordered it. I just received it two days ago and I've started reading it. It's amazing. Brilliant. What an amazing woman. Just look up Viv Albertine on YouTube. She, um, when she wrote this book, she saw a lot of those interviews. She's in her fifties and she looks absolutely amazing uh she's now in her 60s and she looks absolutely amazing she just looks amazing and and uh, she also uh, wrote um an album and released an album in her 50s and there's some brilliant songs on it confessions of a milf is one of the songs brilliant uh, she's just an amazing woman absolutely amazing woman please if you're looking for inspiration just uh, look on YouTube for Viv Albertine. Incredible woman. And that leads me on to this wonderful interview with the incredible Neil Farrell who has a, a YouTube channel. It's called Neil Farrell Entertainments. And he's just putting out these brilliant, brilliant, um, I don't know, half hour to 40 minute, uh, uh, YouTube videos on various subjects about like gender and, uh, politics and, uh, philosophy uh so watch them yeah neil how are you thanks for doing the podcast 
Where, where are you living? I live in a in a rural part of uh, West Clare, um, called Connolly. So it's a tiny, beautiful little village on the outskirts of Ennis, um, in the in the middle of nowhere, but the posh part of the middle of nowhere in Clare. Um, so it's, it's a sweet place. Yeah. There's a posh part of the, of the countryside. There, there is. Yeah. Where all the surfers go and all of the, um, uh, all of the, the hippies and the, and the, um, the, the middle class folk. Um, I'm not one of any of those groups, but, um, uh, <laughs> maybe the hippie, but, um, yeah. So there's a nice blend, a nice kind of, diaspora a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds so um this oh. is the um the, the pretty part of the west um which uh, nice. yeah sounds yeah. really nice um yeah so is that where you grew up Neil no well my family's originally from Dublin um and uh we were we we were part of the rural resettlement thing and ended up in Clare um so from the age of four I'm now 32 um, I've lived in Clare, but I'm still a blow-in. Like my kids are blow-ins, you know, and it's like because their dad spent a small part of his life living in Dublin. So we're like official blow-ins forever kind of thing. <laughs> it's just how it works. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, my family came from Galway to Mead. There was a thing called the Land Commission, moved farmers from the West to East Coast. And we were blow-ins as well. Uh, my parents were had real Galway accents, so they would have stood out. And somehow I just, well, actually, I never picked up a Mead accent either. I just ended up with what is considered a posh accent here as well. I don't know how I got that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, I think in Ireland, if you average out the accents, um, you end up at posh. Uh, you sort of end up being a, a tribal centrist. Um, and, and so people can't quite put put their finger on it and so they just oh you must be you must have notions i can't figure out any other explanation for your accent i mean i'm similarly similarly disposed here um so yeah and i don't i don't know that there's any shaking i mean i'm sure it's all in good fun like it's, it's fine but um yeah like like local is 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 deep and um and local is is you know kind of an unshakable state of being and then everything else is non-local um so <laughs> oh yeah yeah i don't have that uh identi- identifying with a county at all because i moved to kildare and then dublin and then i'm living in Louth. so this whole idea of wearing your county colors at at music festivals i just find bizarre anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah. So did you, uh, you were educated then in Clare, in County Clare, yeah? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I'd like, um, I briefly lived in Galway for a while, but I've actually, the whole, the whole deal, I went to college in Limerick and I was living in Clare the whole time. So yeah, so I am, if, if anything, I'm a Clare person really, but like, you know, I just, I'm European. That's the way I look at it. Did you go to college then and what did you do? I, I studied filmmaking in LIT. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in my life at the time. Um, so it was all a bit of a mess. And, it, and it, it, I actually thought that I dropped out, but then they sent me a qualification in the post. So I'm not quite sure what happened. It was a happy, a happy mix up, but, um, technically I'm qualified from a technical institute as a, as a filmmaker and editor, which, as you know, are, you know, very lucrative fields. 
um, with lots of job opportunities and, uh, you know, you can't, you can't move with the work they're throwing at you as a, as a creative and filmmaker. Um, so that was what I decided to do. So I, I'm surprised. I thought you must have studied philosophy or something like that. Cause you're, you're, uh, I've watched two of your YouTube, uh, videos. Let me see. Uh, Super Straits, Proud Boys, Idiots, and I watched uh, actually Gender and Authenticity. But it's just like this is incredible. Like this stuff is you're so articulate, and I have to watch them again actually because I can't quite uh, follow. And so is this something that you study yourself, or you think of you you think of quite a bit? Yeah, Uh, yeah. I am. I mean, like I. I did when I was 17 and I first came out of um, secondary school, I, I went and did the start of one of those arts courses, um, English philosophy, sociology and politics and psychology. Um, I didn't, that's like the, the joke part of my education. Cause I just, I was useless and I just dropped out. Um, but like, it's, it's always been something that interested me. And I think the other thing is it, it, it's, it's quite, tactical to have videos that you have to watch three or four times because then it pushes up your watch time and your view count um you know so and by that stage it's like hey you've you've gotten a lot of hours of entertainment out of this you should really support me on patreon you know um so there's a certain uh no i mean it is it's stuff that i think i think that uh, i'm not alone in being sort of quite fascinated by you know philosophy and uh, identity and psychology and epidemiology i think these things are sort of so baked into the zeitgeist now that um a lot of people are either having very ham-fisted conversations about them when they don't realize that's what they're talking about you know um and making sort of all sorts of outrageous claims without engaging with, with where they came from or there's an audience for this kind of material which i think is pretty interesting and and some of the people in my comment sections are a lot smarter and a lot more articulate than i you know a lot more well informed sort of it's interesting that like it, it i don't think it's any better or, or or any more like enlightened or or even any cooler than movements like punk or or you know like uh, writing movements or comedy movements or anything like that but it is it does seem to be this thing that there's this kind of like uh, cool kids philosopher kind of movement that's happening in the zeitgeist actually it's unfortunate i say cool kids philosopher because that's what they call buddy ben shapiro and he's he's about as philosophical and cool as a sock but um yeah i think that uh, even even in in more conservative circles like people are thinking about psychology and and philosophy uh and having conversations about them in a way that's just like notions just everyone has notions now you know and it's it's beautiful for me because I've always been, you know, someone who's interested in that kind of thing. And suddenly um, the kind of quiet fascinations and, and panics and hopes and thoughts that I have when I'm trying to get to speak match um, an artistic movement or like a comedy movement or, you know, they match the other stuff that I've always liked to do, which is make music and edit and, and put together short films and, and, and do stand up comedy. So, yeah, it's just it's just me kind of meeting the zeitgeist where it's at and finding that oh if i do it this way it's a tremendous fit for who i am as a person 
Is there any link to the new kind of comedy scene that, or the scene that you're involved? Say, where, where do you perform stand up? Or when, when it was open, obviously, when, when, oh, back, oh, I can't even remember. Gosh. I mean, like, I would, I'd be involved with like the, um, the token straight and the token cis kind of group, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. cause I'm, I'm, uh, non-binary. And so I, I, I get a free pass to all the trans gigs, which is great fun. And then the other, the kind of nerdy stuff, like the nerd herd and like jesters and stuff. And, um, yeah, so small yeah. rooms. That's a new, cause I've done, I've done one night in the token straight. Was it token straight night? Yeah. Yeah. It's token straight when you did it. Yeah. Is that, that's a completely different scene. I mean, is it, is it a really different scene to the mainstream comedy that I would perform in perhaps? I mean, maybe, maybe. I think that there's a big crossover of audience. Um, but like that, I think that like, if you're talking about like specifically queer spaces and the sorts of nights where, you know, there's, um, they'll hand out like, uh, badges to make, sh- to, to say like, I'm okay with you riffing on me if I'm in the front row or a badge that says, I'm not okay with you riffing on me if I'm in the front row. I think that's, that's, that's a sort of indicator of, of the nature of the scene that you're talking about. It's very, it's quite consent culture and it's sort of, we're creating a safe space here because you know, out there in the wild world and, and historically there, there just hasn't been that sense of safety. Um, so I, I think maybe, I, I don't really know, you know, but um, my guess would be that it's a bit more rough and tumble and macho um, in in more mainstream circles. Um, but that at the same time, the same forces that are shaping small rooms for queer audiences that are super safe are are having an impact on more mainstream um yeah uh comedy spaces and then various comics are reacting in various different ways to those forces you know they're kind of going with it and going oh this will be interesting we're we're really kind of digging their heels in but i mean it's 2021 now it's been it's four months into 2021 i don't i don't know what the comedy scene is going to be like yeah. when, we, when we all start again you know it's just that I, I feel that the mainstream is is pretty shit at the moment, and uh, well, I actually, <laughs> think, I actually think the uh, comedy scene that I started with uh, was only really when I look back at it now, I think it was only really good and exciting for about for about two or three years because okay. basically what happens is uh, I think this this is what happens all scenes, even the punk scene or whatever, uh, is that one or two people become really famous and then and then it attracts new other people to go oh that's a way you can become famous so there, yeah. then it attracts people who aren't doing it because they the look for the love of it they they're doing it because they want fame mm. and the scene yeah. the scene um loses what it had yeah so actually i think i mean this is really running with the ball but um it's arguable that that sort of maybe has gone in cycles in Irish stand-up comedy that like you'll get, you'll get like kind of fortunate fluke kind of generational outliers that'll, that'll rise to fame. And then, and then the, the comedy scene will, will reach kind of peak and then, and then, and then flow back. Um, and uh, as I say, this is really running with the ball, you know, you could probably tell me better, but, but you'll, you'll get, a new exciting kind of fringe scene and then you'll get people out of that. You know, that seems to be the, the way that it works. So, so even cause obviously cause stand-up comedy is a, is a big monolith or it's a, it's a big tent. 
Um, so you're kind of talking about a lot of sub scenes within that. So what's really lovely and warm about the queer scene or, or playing with the trans comics is that it is um, a very small, warm scene and nobody has heard of any of us. Um, and, uh, and there isn't, it's quite generous that way. It's not, it's not competitive. And um, none of us, I don't think, think that there's a, um, that that's an end, a, a means to an end, you know? Yeah, um, okay, but that's it, exactly it, what I mean when I say when I start when it, the comedy cellar started, it was the only place of its kind that existed, and yeah. so anyone that went there, including the audience and the performers, we all felt like we were a group with our own little club, and that was the only. So it felt very inclusive as well, but but it quickly changed. You know, it was pretty much straight as well, though I have to say, you know, and uh, but I'm just wondering is the type of comedy that is is there a different style of comedy i think there's you can um, be more kind of you can delve into different subject matters that would you would that be true yeah i mean i think it depends on the it depends on the on the on the particular performer you know for me like i'm um i'm not much different in my my youtube persona than i am on stage so i'll tend to delve into the personal and um, the philosophical and and kind of the abstract and the sort of you know um, the the sort of um, the big the big dream stuff and the zeitgeist stuff and um, and I'll end up sounding more like a you know more like a waterboy song than a stand up routine um, and <laughs> and that and that's fine and then I think of other comics that I know that are like managing to do the kindness. And the, the, the punching up and the self de- the self deprecating sort of, the, the, that sort of more classic, like observational stuff, all, all married together, like yeah. the, to, to really be like wordsmiths. And it's like, oh, here's the punchline. It's like, oh, I did the thing, you know, and really be kind of, and I, I think it's, it's interesting, like that. I suppose it's like any, any, it is definitely a new a new thing. God, I'm really betting to answer this question. Like, it, it is definitely a new thing, but everyone has their own kind of weird, interesting approach to that, you know? Um, again, sort of like punk, you know? It's like, God, if you actually analyze, like, punk acts, especially the early uh, uh, early and, and consistently authentic people, like, you know, the difference between between them um, and and their approach to sounding commercial or sounding like off the wall or sounding acerbic or just imitating what they think punk is supposed to sound like there's all sorts of different and i think there's a similar thing but there's definitely a flavor there's a there's a flavor there's a certain je ne sais quoi in the in the the queer scene um and that's when i that's when i like it best is when this really feels like tight and um accomplished and like the person is really doing everything on purpose but it's new and there's something new happening here as well. But like, I can't, like, I can't find it. You know? It's amazing. Yeah. But like, like that, like when punk started or when, when the alternative comedy scene started, people didn't know what they were doing. That was the, that was the one thing they were going, I'm not sure what I'm meant to be doing, but I'm getting up on stage. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So that's kind of exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair. I think you'd, I think you'd really enjoy it. You know, they're always really warm rooms. I think that's, that's the thing, you know, um, I can't really think of any example of, you know, kind of heckling or, or cruelty. And then I can't even really think of anyone 
on stage being particularly cruel, even for the crack. Or, um, and, he, and even so, that makes it almost sound like it's maybe slightly like, oh, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit wishy-washy. It's a bit maybe just, but actually, no, it's always genuinely very, very funny. And um, yeah, I think, um, I think you're right in, in sort of, if, I, if I'm taking you upright, that like, you, you kind of have to remember what's exciting about the medium and go like, let's just, let's just do some mad thing. Because, you know, all of this kind of imitating what we think stand-up is supposed to be can be can, can kind of be a bit wearying, you know? Yeah, it's very hard over a long period of time, I tell you, because, you know, I've been in comedy for a long time. It's very hard to keep it exciting. I want to talk about... Uh, I'm not really au fait. Well, I looked at your uh, video about gender and stuff. So you said you're non-binary. What does that mean? Well, okay, so... I mean, oh, <laughs> I'm put on the spot now. Um, all right. Well, basically, you know, um, the, the whole question of gender is is in the zeitgeist now. Um, we do we do have sort of a lot of assumptions about it. You know, I say it in the video. It's like men are big with willies and, and women are small with new news. That's the like that's sort of the the the, the comic book simplistic primary colors. Like that's what you get. That's how you're educated about gender. And and most people don't examine it beyond that, you know. And then it's not really their fault if they end up being transphobic or, you know, like let's say like phobic of of, of trans women and and, and 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 starting to sort of say say awful, you know, uneducated things about trans women or or think them, um, because they 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 just have this very straightforward conception of, of what gender is and it's very much tied to biological sex which as i point out in the video isn't even a particularly coherent category either and most of the ways that we've studied biological sex have also been through this lens of like yeah but like men are big with willies and women are small with doo-doos you know yeah. um it's interesting recent uh, just a brief aside in researching the current video that i'm doing which has nothing to do with gender we're because we're actually doing a video on how to how to uh, read academic sources and how to understand research because everyone's screaming like do your research these days and one of the best research papers we came across one of the most one of the biggest research papers we came across it's a meta-analysis of meta-analyses so it's like just tons and tons of papers all like compiled together into one big meta-analysis and it's of the difference between um uh, male and female brains and basically the conclusion is there is no difference um and i know that like whether whether just good old-fashioned conservative or trans exclusionary radical feminist or even trans medicalist there is always like this argument that like well men and women they just have different brains and they work differently and it's like that's a complete social construct so yeah in terms of my own positionality to like who am I and how, you know, how does my brain work? How does my body work? How does my fashion sense work? My identity, my, my soul in many ways. I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not a man, you know? And um, that doesn't, that doesn't immediately lead to the sort of inevitable. So you must be a woman then. And it's like, no, not one of them either. I just, you know, and um, you know, one of the great, greatest writers and philosophers, in this subject is Judith Butler who wrote the book Gender Trouble which is very inspirational for a lot of my work and um, I was I was very happy to read a message from from one of my uh, 
patrons who had actually organized a talk from Judith Butler at her university. And she said they were all in the pub afterwards and that Judith Butler said that whenever they're asked about their gender, they go, oh, and as you know from watching the video, that's the answer that I have at the end of, the, of my video as well. It's like, I can identify as non-binary. I try not to use he, him anymore. I use they, them. I don't force it on anybody. I don't, you know, I have my own sort of, you know, pastel centrist views on on, on uh, how other people should speak to me. But I prefer they. I like they. I like not being he or she. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when it comes to the question of like, well, what is your gender then? I'm just like, oh, I'm wearing this nice stuff. I feel like me and I'm supported by my loved ones. So I don't know, but I don't think many people know. Um, and I think that the reason they don't know is that they haven't examined it. You know? And if they do, they just go, no, no, I'm, I'm this thing, you know? Okay. So. Yeah, but I mean, there had to have been a, a reason why why he and she were uh, used as pronouns going way back in language. And why, like, I mean, in, if you were speaking French, you would even have to, uh, every single... Everything would have to be feminine yeah. masculine. All, all things. I mean, yeah, you know, well, it's interesting. I think that um, the, the way I, I put it in the video is that even if we, even if we postulated this like post-gender society, right, which I know the vast majority of people like based on, on online discourse, they don't, they don't want that. You know, it's, it's only queer and trans people that want that. So, okay, mm-hmm. that aside, but even if, if, if we play that thought experiment and went, okay, let's say, we're in the future and there's no gender anymore. Like we'd still have things that were historically gendered, you know, we'll still always have been baked in this, in this oven together and have this stuff baked into language, for example, like you say. And um, I think that maybe the discrete categories of, of, of man and woman have always existed. It's not an absurd claim. I think the other, the other claim is more absurd that like there's, you know, I don't think any, anyone on, on my side of things is doing any favors by claiming that like, there has never been, you know, man and woman are, are, are complete fictions. It's just that um, the way that we interact with them, there's a difference between a complete fiction and a social construct, you know, and, and uh, the difference is a social construct is reinforced by the way we interact with it. And a fiction is just like some stuff you just made up. So it's very hard to say that any of the proofs we have that are based on human interaction with culture are actually proofs. And even so, it's not like anyone's trying to prove that men and women don't exist. I think that's a real, a real misunderstanding that people have. It's like, you're trying to get rid of the category of woman. It's like, no, the discrete category of woman will always exist. And as it stands, somewhere between 1% and 2% of people are trans. We're really just talking about the, the opportunity to express an alternative in terms of a thing that is um, yeah. presented as an inevitability. Yeah, yeah. And, I, know, I, isn't, know. You know? I know that if, if so, just because something, say, always existed doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> well, sure, exactly. You know, there has always been God and everyone everywhere has always spoken English. These sort of assumptions we have, you know. Yeah, yeah but I mean, even, you know, racism has always existed. But, uh, yeah. It's not good. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, I mean, so I sit, I sit humbly in an identity that feels right for me. And I don't pretend to speak for everyone um, who's non-binary or who's trans, but uh, I, I, I'm aware that I exist in this society and I'm pretty confident that a lot of these things are social constructs. 
Um, and so I sort of sit as comfortably as I can, um, more comfortably than I would if I was just going full blown man mode all the time and having to, to, to sort of do all those things. Cause it would feel like a, it would feel like an act, you know? And how, um, how did you, uh, feel growing up then when, when you say you're 12, 13 or whatever, how did you feel about yourself? Did you, um, feel that, that that was a struggle to um to not be to not to not be forced into a gender well i mean i think uh you know i'm i'm quite fortunate i i think that like i'm i don't have many memories of feeling dysphoric i think that's the that's the the, the term that might be apt um but i remember anger and and discomfort in terms of um being situated in society and and then and then of course it's cultural as well because i grew up in ireland like it, like you know I, I grew up in clare and it felt like there were sort of ridiculous prescriptive rules like you know i like having long hair that's sort of neither here nor there in terms of my my gender expression you know i just prefer i, I like it you know i like having a wavy mane it's it's better than than not and then i, I just that was so much trouble and it just feels like such a low bar. It was like in other, in other cultures, in other countries, you know, I'm like, I'm here watching American television and there's like, you know, dudes with long hair and they're like, you know, attractive and like women are attracted to them. And, and it's like, you are, but we're not allowed to do that here. You know, it's like, no, no, you've got to be a tennis ball. You know, like, it's like, well, I've got to be a tennis ball then. Okay. You know, and I've got to, or like things like that. It's like, you know, dancing. It's like, okay, well, there are people on television. And in books, and they're dancing, men dancing. Yeah. And uh, so I should dance, right? Because I like to dance, and I, I, you know. And it's like, no, you got to stand, you got to bob, you know. And it's like, God, I know I'm creating an awful caricature here, but it was a very, you know, that's not any one person in particular. That's like the vast majority of the people that I interacted with were were like, no, you can't, you can't do any of these things, mm. you know. Um. Or else you're whatever it is, you know, laughable, gay, you know, um, contemptible. And so um, by the time it got to the point of like, all right, well, there's literally nothing I can do that I actually want to do. I can't read. I can't like, you know, love, love things. I can't express love. I can't dance. I can't have long hair. I can't wear makeup. I can't, you know, like how things feel. I can't l- like to touch things. You know, <laughs> this is like a ridiculous level of prescription of my behavior. It just kind of got to the point of like, right, well, I'm an adult now and I'm throwing out this book. So, so it's a long answer to be like, I don't really know. I can't speak to that dysphoric. I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong thing, body here kind of experience. Like that's, that's not my experience, but my experience is like, oh man, so many things. I'm angry. I'm so upset at like, and I'm upset. My empathy is upset. I'm upset on behalf of. You know, even now, still, I'm upset on behalf of little boys all over this country who are just, they don't have, they can have whatever gender identity they want. Like, they can be men with a capital M. Like, no worries. It's just this prescriptive nonsense of like, yeah. don't, don't do that. You know, that was my experience growing up. And, um, did you, um, uh, like quite often people move to a city so they can express themselves because they're a bit more anonymous. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you did? I mean, I think you said you moved to Galway, so that's not really a huge city. But... 
No, no, yeah. I mean, look, I, 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 I love, I love the countryside, and um, and my, uh, I had kids quite young. Um, I, I became a father at nineteen. Um, so we were sort of embedded in in the countryside with with the family, um, with, with the, the you know the extended family. And the network of people to all help to take care of the kids and pick them up and spin them around and things. So, um, so I never, I never had a huge amount of choice. I often wonder if I would have emigrated if I didn't have kids so young. And, and then I think, I, I think that the answer is no. And, and then I like to write this narrative that's like, because I'm, I'm here to do some good and, um, you know, and to not give up, um, because so many great minds and, and great strange people go away and, and, uh, even if they come back, you know, it's like we, we don't embrace the success of anyone until they've gone and been a success in London or in Berlin, mm. you know, um, so I didn't, I didn't want to play into that narrative, but I don't know how much of this is, is like a retrospective flattering narrative. Whereas in reality, maybe I would have just pissed off. You know, because um, I mean, Dublin's great, but Dublin's Dublin. And if you're if you're if you've got a pain in your arse with Ireland, there's only so much you're going to heal those wounds by being in Dublin. In in many ways, it's hyper Ireland, you know. Um, so I, I don't I don't know. Yeah. So I never moved to a city and I had kids young. So I don't know that I had a huge amount of um, agency in, in making that decision or if it was a decision. Um, and I'd like to think that I wouldn't have emigrated, but I might have. Yeah, no, it's just that when I was like in my, I don't know, nineteen twenty or whatever, I'd, I'd wear makeup, but I'd be in Dublin, so <laughs> I wasn't that whole yeah. little village, you know. But you feel uh, you 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 can do that. You can be who you are now, living where you are. Um, to an extent, yeah. I mean, like it's it's um it's COVID, you know. Um, so I I suppose in some ways I'm I'm taking on a bit of a burden um i i i push a little i push a little further every year and i'm fully out now i'm, I'm fully I'm, I'm also polyamorous so i'm you know i'm, I'm fully out as a poly queer gender non-conforming non-binary person all the all of it you know trendy hashtags um i'm just i'm a legion of hashtag but uh yeah so i push a little bit further all the time and certainly like in ennis which is just down the road i don't really give a shit you know but um yeah it depends you know and, and and almost you're i think it's it's different if it's like the village that you grew up in um even if you are a blow-in but you, you were a child you know in the village that you grew up in and the, the immediate townland that you grew up in um or that you associate with there's a certain amount of like you know people are going to stop and talk to you whereas i'm anonymous here um and um there's no escaping being weirdo anyway so um yeah and and i love the countryside and it's like well i should i have a right i have a right to it you know so i push a little bit further and sometimes i make compromises um and also it's covid so a lot of a lot of people's self-expression is online now anyway and um and so i have my channel and i have my you know my my world that i've created to express myself in as well cool and and when did you want to when did you decide you wanted to do stand-up comedy um that's interesting i actually didn't know that that was what i was doing um because i i was a lunatic i jumped straight in with like a 45 minute 
show. I never, I never did like the five minute set thing um, at first. So what happened was my, my band broke up. I had been doing stage acts and it was about a year in, you know, incubation as a creative and just like kind of thinking about stuff and writing songs on the acoustic guitar for a, di- for a change and writing songs on the piano and, and coming up with poems and stories and this kind of thing. And it was like, I always had it in the back of my head that like, oh, I'd love to do stand up, but it's so, it's so scary. It's so vulnerable. Like, there's no amplifiers. There's no like effects pedal. There's no, there's no special effects. There's no cuts. You know, you can't cheat. It's just you and your brain. Um, and it's, it's, so there's something real wild and exciting about that. So I just went, all right, screw it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll create this show that's like, it's, it's not a, it's not stand, it's just a show. I'll just put on a show and it'll be like 45 minutes long. It'll be super autobiographical. And then by the time I had done that in a few places, everybody was like, God, you're such a, you're such a good stand up comedian. And I was like, I, I'm like, um, oh, thank you very much, you know, and, and then, um, um, Ali O'Rourke, who, who, you know, um, got in touch with me just completely, I think, assuming in, you know, to be fair, like a completely fair assumption to make, like, yeah, I'll contact stand-up comedian who is non-binary, Neil Farrell, and I will book them for a gig. Um, and I was like, oh my God, a real stand-up gig. And then I headlined, you know, and, and the rest is history. So I've, I've done like, uh, only uh, not that many, not that many really considering it's been a, it's been a few years because I've always got other stuff on and and I'm traveling to Dublin or to Galway to do them so you know it, it's kind of has to be worth my while um I'm not I'm not one of those people who's like living in Dublin and, and kind of working but living the dream at night because I can just hop on the Lewis and play every gig going um it's not that straightforward for me so um so yeah it was sort of always in the back of my head like from from childhood and then I just put it off until I could trick myself into doing it by saying it's a it's a show, it's a musical, poetic night of of storytelling, and it's like yeah, stand up, stand up, grow up. <laughs> Have you thought about doing the Edinburgh Festival? Uh, yeah, yeah, I actually um, um, applied um, uh, last year, and then um, I didn't have to tell everyone that uh, I didn't get in because it, it was cancelled anyway um uh but i yeah i i think definitely i think we're going to try and i don't know spoiler alert i think we're going to try and do a token thing at edinburgh um and that'll be my, i think that'll be my first dipping my toes in um and then but i'm yeah like absolutely would yeah, love yeah. To do that. yeah but like you've started this youtube uh channel which is amazing now, i've only watched two so they're pretty in-depth um so how long have you been doing that then? Is that, is that, that started during lockdown, was it? That started during lockdown. That was, I, so that was, um, November of last year. And the plan was to do November to November, um, and give it a year because, um, uh, yeah, like lockdown, like we were running our own business here. We had a small cafe and then that closed down because of COVID. And then I was working full time. And then I got sick. I got a, I got a duodenal ulcers and got really sick and nearly died. Um, so then I had to stop working for a while. And then I went, you know what? Screw it. There's another thing that's always been in the back of my head. Like start a YouTube channel. I've been getting poked about doing this. You'd be really good at this. So I, I, so I started that when I had nothing else going on. Um, and, um, so that was in November. And I said, I do it from November 20 
to November 21. And the idea was, well, maybe I'll keep going if I get to a thousand subscribers. And um, if I get my 4,000 watch hours, then actually like I'm just shy of quadrupling that in month six. So um, it's, it's still humble beginnings, but it's like rapid growth for, for a YouTube channel from a, from an Irish yeah. small creative anyway. But it's incredible. Like, I mean, there must be loads of work gone into it. I'm not just the writing, but like there's loads of amazing edits and effects and stuff. It, it's pretty cool. It's really clever. Well, thank you very much. I mean, definitely a lot of work goes into it, but it, you know, when it's the sort of work that you really want to be doing, like you just end up, it's almost like you've got the two, the two parts of yourself fighting with this. The, the one, one of you is like, okay, look how much work you're, you're doing for free. Like this is another all nighter you're pulling to try and get this thing finished. Like I think we can just leave it at that. And the other part of you is like, no, have the letters like fly around your head and then explode, you know, and it's like, you can't turn that bit of you off when you're in flow and when there's something you're really excited about, you know? Um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of work goes into, I mean, I tend to only feel work when it's like something that um, I'm having to actually learn, you know? So like, um, you know, one of my uh, collaborators on the channel is a, is an academic and an epidemiologist. And, and so is having to sort of teach me, uh, like academic language and, and how to very carefully parse like what the results of this study actually mean and all that kind of stuff. And I find that's quite hard work, like having to actually learn something, but like the editing or the like music and all of that, like, even though it's super maximalist and there's a lot going on, it's just, I'm just messing around. Like I, I'd be doing that with no fixed direction anyway for the crack in my downtime. So so now I've just done that very dangerous thing of taking all of my hobbies and turning turning them into one uh, monetizable thing, and we'll see how that works out. Yeah, no, it's it's really good stuff. You know what's really amazing now as well is you can be a comedian and be serious as well, and um, do music as well. I always thought when I started out because I was in a band, then I did stand up, but I never thought I could do the two because people go, "Oh, he's a funny guy. He can't be singing." Yeah. Uh, deep and meaningful songs as well. I don't think you could yeah. do it when I started out. I think you can now and people are more open. You know? Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that you can also, um, be experimental in, in one of the fields and kind of commercial in another, you know? That like, um, that yeah, like you don't, if, if you were, yeah, like, like for me, it's like the music for the, for the, um, the channel isn't particularly like wacky comedian music. It's like, it's, it's quite straight soundtrack kind of synth stuff that I, that I love to make that just fits the aesthetic, you know? Um, and, um, I, I, I think, yeah, like I feel really lucky that, um, it's kind of, I mean, in some ways it's, it's like a fringe benefit of maybe a slightly bad thing which is that it's the age of the gig economy and the polymath it's like you have to you have to be able to do everything and then you still don't get paid for it you know <laughs> um but it, it is a very exciting time to like learn for, for you like to learn to animate or to to work with um video editing or vfx because it's so available and it's so relatively affordable that like if you wanted to make you know a 25 minute pilot 
of like animated stuff, you could do it. You could like do it in a, in a month, you know, and it would be good. It would be, you know, it would be, you, you could make it at a high, at a high kind of quality, you know, it would have that like flash animation kind of keyframing kind of quality to it, but it, it could still be very, very watchable and, and hilarious. And it could be quite aesthetic as well. And that's something that wasn't possible even 10 years ago, I don't think, you know? Yeah, no, it's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, um, it's, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, so uh, you do you want to uh, be like, a, uh, would you like to be a professional like stand-up comedian or you just want to do lots of different things? I think I do want to continue to do lots of different things. And I think if I was doing one of them full-time, it probably wouldn't be stand-up comedy, frankly. Um, <laughs> I think I think it would be YouTubing as the consistent thing. Um, and uh, this is, this is the thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of speaks to your last point that like now you have, I think there's a real, there's a real culture of, of tiny acts for tiny audiences, but the audiences are like really, really supportive. It's not like you have to appeal to the sort of, you know, the, the 12 weirdos in Butterbent and and like it's not enough to make a living but like if you're going to be weird that's your audience you know now it's like oh it's all right because there's the 12 weirdos in Budapest and there's the 12 weirdos in in you know Omsk and there's the 12 weirdos in in Calgary and 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 they're all together in an online space together um given out about straight people and and so um you know it, it that's the thing I, I really I I love about YouTube is that I have this community of um, you know, fans and patrons and, and commenters now, um, that really get it. And, and like I say, a lot of them are a lot smarter than I am. And they're real super warm and they're very ethically and politically kind of on point, at least from my perspective. And, um, and so to continue to engage with, um, them and then to, and, and then to hopefully evolve as a creator because, um, you know, um, it's interesting, like, my sister um, has historically been a content creator and um, a YouTuber um, and has, like, you know, made, made her career doing that and, and various other things. But um, uh, if you think to our child, when I was young, to our childhood, um, those, those things didn't exist as career opportunities. Um, they just, they, you know, they're not, what's YouTube? You know, like, what's the internet? Like, um, you know, um, so it's interesting to think, this is what I say to my little girls. It's like, well, you, you should get good at loads of things and, and try and keep track of what you like about the different things you get good at. Mm. Because the next thing that might be a very good opportunity is going to be so alien to me that it's not like I could have told you to go and take a PLC course. In it. Yeah. Um, and I sort of try to hold that openness for myself as well like i i'd love to publish a book i'd love to do more stand-up when gigs open again and just do it and enjoy the gigs and 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 like that not try to get famous out of it just just play to warm sweet crowds and laugh at other comedians and Mm. and be in that environment that's that's what i'm craving and then in terms of my career it's like i like to continue to evolve as a as a as a creative as a, a filmmaker musician um you know shite talker just to evolve as a shite talker um, yeah, but it's it's brilliant what you're saying is amazing that you can appeal to 
the weirdos in different towns and cities all over the world. The problem always with Ireland was, with RTE was, you had to be mainstream because there wasn't enough weirdos in Ireland to for RTE to make uh, an odd kind of niche show, which which they did in the UK because there would be enough people in the UK. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's the fantastic thing about the internet, even though there's loads of shite on the internet. There are good things. Yeah. There are, there are good things. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, both as a creator and as an audience member as well, like the internet never, YouTube and the internet never ceased to amaze me, um, in fitting me better and better as like, as create, like when I discover new creatives and I go like, Oh my God, this was made for exactly me, you know? And I love that feeling, you know, it makes you feel less alone in the world. It's like, it's like what they say is the appeal of a novel where you, somebody has written something down and you think, I thought I was the only person who thought that. But now you have people like Neil Sisirega and Bill Wirtz and they're just making like absurd, stupid songs about everything and nothing. And, and you know, and it just hits me. I'm like, I thought I was the only one. And, and yet this video has three million hits. You know, I've never felt less alone. And I think that's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, it's that's an amazing thing. It's like when you discover a band and and you you just think very few people must like this band. They're too strange. And then you go to the gig and you go, oh my god, look at all these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's a lovely. Where were you all? I needed you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely, nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. Just feeling a belonging. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Neil, it's, it's been brilliant talking to you and uh, it's been great to discover your work as well. Thank you so much. It's been a genuine pleasure. And uh, yeah, no, thank, you. thank you for the opportunities. Okay, that was Neil Farrell. Brilliant. It was really nice chatting to Neil and uh, uh, you should watch his YouTube channel. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, it'll make you think. I'll make you think. And, but it's entertaining as well. Intelligent entertainment. Who could ask for more? <laughs> well, uh, I'll see you next week. seeing something it's smiling at me but not a friendly smile the worst smile i've ever seen in my life do you see it right now smile rated r only in theaters september 30th